0: Well, today is the final sermon of an annual series we call Life Together. Along with all the other sojourn congregations throughout the city of Houston, we have been teaching through the values that we share as a multi-congregational church. We've covered family, local ministry, saturation, and simplicity. And today we will cover the fifth and final value, which is compassion. Let me read again from Matthew chapter 9. Verse 35, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus is traveling throughout the entire region, proclaiming the gospel and healing every affliction. And large crowds were coming to him and Jesus looked out upon them and he was moved with compassion for them. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. In Numbers chapter 27, Moses, in his old age, prays to the Lord, asking him to appoint another leader after him to lead the people of Israel, lest they be, he says, as sheep that have no shepherd. So Jesus, just like Moses, is looking out on these crowds of people and he recognizes that they need a good shepherd. And Jesus is that good shepherd. But in the context here, I think he's talking more specifically about his 12 disciples. He's preparing to commission them to be good shepherds to these crowds. That's precisely what, precisely what we see in chapter 10, verse 1. He calls to him his 12 disciples and gives them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The crowds were like sheep without a shepherd, and so Jesus equips and authorizes his disciples to shepherd them faithfully. Also in the background here is Ezekiel chapter 34, which Eric just read for us, where God condemns the unfaithful shepherds of Israel. Rather than feeding the flock, the shepherds are feeding on the flock. And so technically, these, these crowds did have shepherds, but the shepherds were wolves. And so again, Jesus is equipping his disciples to be faithful shepherds. Shepherds who feed the sheep, shepherds who lead the sheep, shepherds who protect the sheep. This passage is first and foremost about Jesus appointing under shepherds to go on caring for the church in his absence. But the type of shepherd Jesus wants says a lot about the type of flock Jesus wants. It says a lot about the type of kingdom he has come to establish. It's a kingdom marked by many wonderful things, but not least, compassion. Now, I, I don't often do this, but we're going to do a Greek word study today. I, I wouldn't do it if I didn't think it would be enlightening and edifying, so hang with me for three to four minutes. The Greek word for compassion used here in Matthew chapter 9 occurs 12 times throughout the New Testament and always in what's called the middle voice. Now, as English speakers, we don't have anything that corresponds to the Greek middle voice. English speakers have active voice and passive voice. Active voice, the sermon put me to sleep. Passive voice, I was put to sleep by the sermon. But in Greek, the the middle voice is used when the subject is acting in relation to himself or herself. The verb is acting upon the person who is performing the action. For instance, the, the preacher put himself to sleep. So there are 3,726 middle voice verbs in the New Testament. But again, English doesn't have a middle voice. So, so this can present a problem for Bible translators. And I think we're faced with that problem today. Here in verse 36 in the ESV, we read that Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion for them. He had compassion for them. But to fully capture the middle voice here, it would need to say something more like he was moved with compassion for them. And some translations do say that. It's not, it's not just that compassion happened to him. It's that com- compassion was something he was doing. Jesus didn't just feel compassion. He was moved with compassion. He saw the crowds, harassed and helpless, and he was moved to more than just pitying them from a distance. He was moved to act on their behalf. According to Charles Spurgeon, uh, this word for compassion did not exist in the Greek language prior to the New Testament. It appears to have been coined by Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I, I picture Matthew thinking back to the way Jesus was moved by the, by, by the crowds, and perhaps he is discussing it with the other disciples. Do you, do, you remem- do you remember how he yearned for them? Do you remember how he was moved to his very core, how love was overflowing out of him? I've never seen anything like that. I don't know a word to describe that. What do we, what do we call that? Compassion. Compassion is so much more than sympathy. The call to follow a compassionate Christ is a call to so much more than mere pity. The call to follow a compassionate Christ is a call to action. Jesus did not just feel compassionate feelings for helpless people and then go back to his comfortable home and flip on another episode of Ted Lasso. For Jesus... Compassion was in the middle voice. For Jesus, compassion was incomplete if it didn't manifest itself in something, some action. Biblical Christ-like compassion is a yearning. It's a compulsion to act on behalf of people who need it. People who are harassed and helpless. And really, the, the English word compassion is perfectly suited to communicate this. The word compassion is the composite of two Latin words. The first is com, meaning with or together. And the second is pati, meaning to suffer. So, compassion compassion, means to suffer with. To suffer alongside. Let's keep reading. Chapter 9, verse 37. Then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The gospel of Matthew abruptly changes the metaphor here. In verse 36, we're talking about sheep and shepherds. And in verse 37, we're talking about harvests and laborers. This is a different metaphor with different connotations. The sheep need to be shepherded, but at the same time, the harvest needs to be harvested. Like a good shepherd, Jesus is moved with compassion for the crowd, but he also sees their need as a moment of opportunity. The people are harassed and helpless. They are looking for help. They are looking for someone who can come and give them hope. They are eager to be well-shepherded. They are ready and willing to be gathered in, to be harvested. Perhaps this this is obvious, but the image of the harvest is an image of the end. Harvesting is what you do after you have planted seeds and watered them and watched them grow. But Jesus is talking about the end as something that is about to happen, something that is already happening. The harvest is plentiful. The fields are ready. The kingdom is at hand. Everything we've been working for, everything we've been waiting for, it's here for harvesting. But we're going to need more hands. The harvest God wants is larger than we can manage on our own. The need for laborers was thus immediate. In that moment, as Jesus looked out upon the crowds, the harvest was plentiful. The time had come to heal and cleanse and liberate the people of God. And the need for laborers was immediate. But the need for laborers is also perpetual. In 2021, the harvest is still plentiful. And no single congregation can manage it on their own. And so, so we are never wrong to pray for more laborers. Now, I suspect that some of us may be a bit put off by the language of labor and laborers. But we should remember that God is a laborer. And he created us to be laborers. 1 Corinthians 3 says that we are God's fellow workers. So to labor for the kingdom, to spend ourselves for the kingdom is a very good thing. It's a Christ-like thing. As Marshall said last week, from the very beginning, we were created for labor, to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill and subdue the earth, to exercise dominion. All of those things require hard work. Jesus alone has accomplished our redemption There's nothing we can contribute to the saving work he did on our behalf, but there is still work to be done. And when Jesus said that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, he was not promising that we would always be comfortable. He was not promising that life would be easy or that we would never face adversity or that we would never be asked to do something difficult in his name. During the 20th 20th century, there were several prominent evangelists who would often tell people, God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life. And and there are elements of truth to that. It, It depends somewhat on your definition of wonderful. But I think it's probably more true to say that God loves you, and he has a difficult plan for your life. God loves you and he has a difficult plan for your life. The difficulty doesn't change the fact that he loves you. And the difficulty doesn't change the fact that he does have a plan. He loved Jesus, but he also had a very difficult plan for Jesus. So, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. God loves you and he has a difficult plan for your life. In general, I I think middle-class American Christians need to be shaken out of our commitment to comfort and leisure. Our call to worship this morning was from Isaiah chapter 1. Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Is there anything easy in that list? There is nothing easy about that list. Just look around the city of Houston and consider what it would actually take to correct oppression and bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. To to protect the unborn. To heal racial division. To rescue and restore victims of human trafficking. That would require laborers. Lots of them. We need men, women, and children who refuse to shy away from that difficulty. Men, women, and children who boldly and joyfully step into the darkness. Men, women, and children who are willing to be moved with compassion. Willing to suffer alongside the oppressed and the fatherless and the widow, the harassed and the helpless. That is what Jesus did for the harassed and helpless sheep without a shepherd. The good shepherd sees the sheep in need and then he suffers with them and he suffers for them. And that good shepherd is calling for laborers. He doesn't just want us to pray for laborers. He wants us to be his laborers. Growing up, my mom used to tell me, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think this can be applied to evangelism as well. People generally will not care about our message until we have demonstrated Christian love. This is partly why I like to emphasize and encourage the practice of hospitality. Because sharing a meal is a tangible act of love, and it it provides an appropriate context for the sharing of our message. It's not enough for us to just say, Jesus loves you. We, We have to actually enact the love of Jesus for them. We have to be the love of Jesus to them. That's really difficult. That's really difficult. It requires sacrifice and hard work. But when we do it, once we do it, once we take the, the concept of God's love and we make it real for people, that, that is when I think we should expect our neighbors to start caring about our message to start caring about the gospel. So, who in Oak Forest is harassed or helpless? Who in Oak Forest is in need of our compassionate action? Of course, every Houston neighborhood is home to vulnerable children and victims of human trafficking. Specific to our area, perhaps we could add the elderly or neighbors, or our neighbors to the north in Acres Homes. Don't be deceived by this quaint and friendly neighborhood. There's, there is real need here, and there are plenty of ways to get involved. We have a partnership with Fostering Family, which gives us access to an online platform called Care Portal care portal, notifies us when a family nearby has a tangible need. Just think about that in terms of the technological gift the Lord has given us. It notifies us when there's a neighbor nearby who has a tangible need. And so not only do we get to meet the tangible needs of our neighbors, we also get a chance to build relationships with them. We're also home to the Oak Forest foster closet which is another opportunity to meet tangible needs and to build relationships with people who live near us. Nicole has plenty of volunteer opportunities. Perhaps the next faithful step for you is fostering or adopting a child. Perhaps the next faithful step for you is spending time at a nursing home. Perhaps the next faithful step for you is mentoring a high school kid. Perhaps the next step for you is just crossing the street and introducing yourself to your elderly neighbors and saying, what do you need help with? Or if you see a gap and you have a burden, start something new. Within our small congregation, we have many members who have done that. Just ask them how they did it. And notice all of these recommendations have one thing in common. We're not just throwing money at problems. We are prioritizing relationship. We want to be people-oriented, not just problem-oriented. We must not fixate on the statistics and the systemic issues without first being moved with compassion. Moved with compassion in the middle voice for those who are hurting, for real human beings who are harassed and helpless. In the words of N.T. Wright, the Christian vocation, the Christian calling is to be in prayer, in the spirit, at the place where the world is in pain. To be in prayer, in the spirit, at the place where the world is in pain. Jesus entered into the pain and suffering of this world, and we will follow him into the pain and suffering of this world. That's the definition of compassion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not left us as sheep without a shepherd. Thank you that your compassion manifested itself in the sending of your only son. Jesus, you are that good and compassionate shepherd. We follow you. We ask that you would show us the way. Give us a vision of the sort of kingdom, the, the sort of kingdom you, would, you have established and you are establishing through us. Give us a vision of that. And Holy Spirit, inspire us to compassionate feelings, but also compassionate actions. Please move in us to move us to suffer alongside the harassed and helpless. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.